Welcome to our Agile Tales, where we share the various successes and trials we've encountered as we navigate corporate levels and political waters to transform the business to be adaptable to this forever changing world. Today, we have a special guest with us, Joe Justice. Joe works globally as an interim executive for Agile organizations, bringing multinational companies twice the work in half the time. He's a TEDx speaker and a guest lecturer at both MIT and Oxford University in England. In 2006, he applied Agile to automotive manufacturing, founded Team Wikispeed, and set four world records. Joe joined Tesla in 2020, where he operated Agile at Tesla from the company headquarters. Let's welcome Joe as we bring him on to explore Agile at Tesla. Hi, Joe. Thank you for being in another episode of our Agile Tales, where we're going to explore Agile at Tesla. Shall we dive right in? Absolutely, Manway. It's my honor, privilege, and pleasure to be here. JF, fantastic to be working with you. Let's have a good time and see if we can't get some really good information recorded into the podcast. We Ooh. will do that. Yes. Last time, we started getting into the product work, specifically product development, and we ran out of time. So we're going to pick up where we left off. You mentioned that everyone is expected to lift 20 pounds a day working on the manufacturing shop floor. Now, do people do designs? And when I say that, it's like user experience design or engine design, although it seems like everybody does that. Are they also on the manufacturing floor too? Yeah, 20 kilograms. Tesla internally is mostly metric, which I like. Actually, it makes global interrupt much easier. Now, there is still some imperial, but not much. It's almost exclusively metric inside because it is a global company and it's aspiring to create the light of consciousness out among the stars, right? And they don't want to scale inches and Henry the whatever foot length, mythical foot length, not even their actually actual foot length. So that does not need to scale out among the stars nor does Fahrenheit or oh, month, day, year. There are better systems <laughs> because the intention is to scale out. The systems are better from user design. The wish is everyone is cross-skilled. The fact is that's a deep discipline. So there are deeply experienced human factors, UI, UX, product design professionals, aestheticians all throughout the factory. When Musk talks about the factory as a product, that's part of what's meant. There's actually multi layers. It's a really useful concept, but one of them is a beautiful product. A good design award product is funky. It draws your eye. You go, really? You know, it catches your attention. And then it's still elegant to use and highly fit for purpose. That's hard. That's really hard to make something that's highly fit for purpose, but also gorgeous and attention grabbing and simple, elegant easy to manufacture. This is awesome product design and it's difficult. It's art. You will get an inspiration to make an improvement in product design any time of the day or night. And you might go for hours without that inspiration or even months. It's an art, but when it hits, it hits. You can build a team that feeds each other's energy, or you can choose a team really. You kind of grab it that has more of that and reinforces when you're blocked, people fill in for you and then you can fill in with them like playing Mad Libs. So product design is a first-class citizen and they're people with deep product design experience and human factors, 
PhDs in human factors, user interface, user experience. Now, what these people do, it's not like they come in in black turtlenecks and say, we are here to audit for product design. There's none of that. Instead, they're in these swarms, lifting 20 kilograms, drilling holes in stuff. And as part of their job, they're also going to refactor, if they can, the area they're in to be a better product. Humans are working here. It should be a luxurious experience, no matter where here is. Elon has talked about that in Twitter, so that's public and citable, that respect for people is having them work more comfortably, work more safely, work more luxuriously. He didn't say luxurious, I'm putting that on top of it, but he is building towards beautiful product. He does say with beauty. Your work environment, if you're sweeping composite shavings, should be gorgeous. If you were filmed for a sci-fi movie for the next, 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 next Blade Runner or Cyberpunk, they should just be able to shoot any area in a Tesla factory and it will look like beautiful product design of the future. That's the goal, no matter what it is. It could be a toilet. Like, that's the intention. As a result, it's a really fashionable place to work. And your set safety gear, when you check out this big vending machines, like most manufacturing operations, you get new gloves and goggles and whatever you need per station, because depending on what you're doing, you need different stuff. It's beautiful. And you put it on and you look like not a dystopia, but you look like a weird, beautiful future. I wish I could share more of the pictures from inside. Some people do take pictures of their work clothes outside, so you can see some of them, but they are designed. It's a very attractive experience. And now there's areas they haven't touched yet. There's areas no one has gotten to yet. So there's grummy, grimy, awful too. I hope Giga Berlin has made even more meaningful improvements on that. But remember Fremont, the mothership where I was working, that used to be Toyota and before that GM and the bones are the bones. You can only put so much lipstick on a pig. Then let me extrapolate. Software folks... I assume they also work on the manufacturing floor then? Yes. Now, software can be fully remote, but the goal is to be within three meters of the material and the manufacturing process you're working on. Software is going to be controlling robots. Sometimes the robots are the car in the case of factory motor autopilot, but then you want to be near the cars going through the bamboo line running factory mode. Or if it's the app, you want to be in the factory testing it on cars as they're built, driving a car using the app or mocking the purchase experience, et cetera, et cetera. So any of the Tesla software, even the external website, ties to the product very tightly. The goal is for you to be in the factory always. You don't have to, but the goal is to facilitate that because the place continues to just run out of space. Tesla is growing so fast. There's metal catwalks. You can see them in some of the factory tours Elon has put on YouTube, where you can see through. They're graded, they have holes. There's people sitting there on laptops right above, and they're sitting on the floor, on the concrete floor. There is a big office area. It's empty. The only thing active in there mostly is support, where you can drop off a laptop and have it diagnosed and get another one immediately. So you always have working gear or a phone. Because phones are totally required to do anything. There's all the chat, all the apps. So you can just drop stuff off, get a known and get a repair. That's almost the only thing in the office. But there are beautiful Framery conference rooms. Framery is a Swedish or Norwegian, maybe Finnish. 
brand, a Scandinavian brand, where they make these beautiful phone booths to four-person sized offices. I think they might even have a six-person sized one. And they have sound deadening and air conditioning. It's like a room within a room. There's those around so you can have a private call if you have to, or maybe your spouse is divorcing you or something. You can go in there and have that conversation and whatever you need to do. You could code in there, but I never saw people coding in there. The coding, you could, there's nothing to stop you. But I did see people on catwalks or I used computers up on catwalks or sitting on the concrete floor because the goal is to be within three meters of the materials and the production operation, no matter what you're doing. But you could be remote, you could work from home. And I'm sure some people do sometimes. Oh, that's actually very cool. You talk about the phone. You also mentioned those apps, 28 apps or something like that, and giving real-time customer feedback. So who decides when to work on feedback versus new features? Each person decides. I don't mean to sound too crazy, but I never had a manager come up and say, you need to do this. There's an agenda, basically, a backlog, a backlog for the mothership and for all the facilities. And it says, here's what we all think is important. As a human, you can influence that. You can propose new things, or you could say, I think this ordering is incorrect or not helpful. If something just happened, you report it. This elevator is broken. We can't lift cars up to this area. Lines, there's really no line, but this area is stopped. So you put that up there and it lights up everyone's phone. Then you use the law of two feet. You look to say, where can I add the most value? There are some areas where there's so many new people, especially if the group is more than six people, they'll look to whoever's the most experienced and it's natural human reaction. You're new. You've been here a while. What do we do? And they'll point to the metrics and they'll say, this is what we do. So their job is to defer being an authority and instead encourage self-management. Like, here's the information. You can't not see it. The multiple flows of what's important. Your job is to use the law of two feet. No matter what you were hired to do, Tesla does post procurement, for example. You're not going to be doing only procurement. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then now I'm curious. Is there a plugin that looks for features and enhancement requests or tweets that mention Elon and pull them directly in the backlog? Elon has a hive mind. And the hive mind has all kinds of humans and ML that create Elon. What's cool is Elon is, how do I say this the right way? Elon is actually fully live and completely in control and aware of it. I simply think just because Elon actually likes that and respects that level of authenticity. Whereas I did run the Twitter account for Bill, no, I was on a team that was responsible for the Twitter account for Bill Gates. Bill Gates didn't do any of those tweets. Bill didn't even know what those tweets were. I remember we made a deal with Ashton Kutcher's Twitter account, not Ashton Kutcher, Ashton Kutcher had nothing to do with Ashton Kutcher's Twitter account. And it was, Bill Gates is gonna tweet on this date at this time, hello world. Ashton, we want you to reply welcoming Bill to Twitter because you have a massive follower account. And we weren't talking to Ashton, we were talking to Ashton's Twitter team. Ashton's Twitter team agreed that that was on brand for what they decided means Ashton Kutcher TM. And we decided that was on brand for what we thought Bill Gates should be. And it was all fake. Well, Musk is not that. Musk is absolutely plugged in, but Musk is aided by a hive mind. 
that helps find things worth responding to and find things that are on topic. Remember, Musk describes Musk's own mind as this never-ending explosion of possibilities. So of the few, Musk is choosing to try to focus only on these to get them awesome. Is anyone else tweeting along those lines? Where can Musk find them? The hive mind will help Musk find those so he can engage with them and amplify them and they in turn amplify Musk. So if Musk is thinking, there's a lot of white Teslas out there. Oh, 28 days later, I think that's who did it. I think it was 28 days later, tweeted Musk, there's a lot of white Teslas. Could you please make one more color complimentary, maybe silver? Musk's hive mind helps Musk find that tweet and say, you're right. I was already focusing on paint choices. It's an issue right now. Someone else cares about this. They have a huge Twitter following. So it's meaningful to engage with them in terms of getting the message out. I'm going to reply directly to them, not make an original tweet. I'm going to reply to them. And now Musk is choosing this. I think this is what my impression of it is. Musk replies directly and says, silver is now also included. It's the system that augments Musk like a mech like you're getting in a super suit, as opposed to a system that replaces you so you can go drink on your $500 million yacht, Jeff Bezos. Wow. I don't know that many humans actually can do that. That's quite amazing. Now let's get back slightly more technical. You mentioned also previously about parallel executable modules, that they don't wait on each other. That's the goal. I mean, sometimes they do, but that's the goal, that they don't wait on each other. Okay, so can you expand a little bit more, perhaps for our listener, what are these parallel executable modules? I mean, I know some of the modules, like maybe chassis or suspension or aeroshell. How is that different from, say, component teams? Mm, Okay, there's a lot of similarities. The downside of component teams that modularity tries to avoid is component teams are often interdependent. If you change the transmission on a Chevrolet, you do need to have a corresponding engine type for them to match. Now, there's actually a lot of swappability, and especially in older Chevrolets, and a lot of people liked that, but there's less interop now. Now they're much more tightly coupled. If you take an engine control unit from a given Ford engine, it does not want to work on any other engine. It wants to be very specific to that engine. So you have these not modules, these dependent components. The additional aspect of a module is it's hot swappable plug and play with a stable versioned interface. That was a lot of jargon all at once, but I mean, a USB-C printer, that's a module. You have a printing module. You can switch it with anything else with USB-C and it's going to work or it should, that's its job. And it doesn't matter who made it. It doesn't matter when it was made. It doesn't matter what color it is. It doesn't matter who ordered it, it'll swap. If it's a USB-C inkjet printer, maybe laser printer, it's gonna do that job. Whereas if you make a keyboard for a specific laptop, that would be a component. It fits only in that specific laptop and you wouldn't be able to swap it out into another brand or another chassis, or even potentially another year, or sometimes even a different part of the same product run. The problem with modules is the interface adds size and weight, which is why companies primarily run by, it's called spreadsheet accounting. It's a spreadsheet that shows this is how much parts cost, and that's independent from 
costs to maintain them or customer satisfaction or cost to innovate or any other aspect, simply part cost. That's called spreadsheet accounting. If you're in a company using spreadsheet accounting, they will kill modularity immediately because there is a cost to these adapters. Why put a USB-C plug on our printer? Why not just make it part of the motherboard of the laptop? I hope that's a self-explaining bad reason why that's bad. But that is what spreadsheet accounting does, is it creates dependent components. So a module actually is a component, but with a very important additional feature, it has a known stable versioned interface that allows for hot swappability across any other module with a similar interface. Now that makes more sense. All right. So how do you know you're not duplicating the effort that other teams are working on then? That's a problem. That's a problem. Walkup Simple tries to help that. By having a poster or a text message that says, here's the latest, that's often the best you've got because it takes a very rare type of personality to sit down and go through hundreds or even thousands of pages of documents when you're trying to solve something immediately and there's a cost of delay. This is another reason that would encourage companies to go more slowly because they would say, to be efficient, we need to slow down and go through our library. That's the wrong answer. The idea is how do you make the library instant and self-advocating? And that's part of the idea of Walk Up Simple. And that's effort. There are teams to try to make visible immediately this, to push the library out to you of the current state or of objects. Still some level of rework does happen. Unnecessary duplication does happen, but you proactively try to make visible available library items without taking time. The idea is in less than a minute, you should be equipped. Faster is better. So how do you get the current working version in front of people in seconds? And you have teams that try to do that. Sometimes just with whiteboards and it's written like most latest working version here and there's an arrow. <laughs> okay. Hmm. All right. Now you also mentioned that Tesla does virtual destructive tests. So how yeah. does Tesla know that enough tests are run and does Tesla ever do real ones? Mm, yeah, Tesla does have a crash facility that they run constantly. It never stops running. There was a video posted just recently so I can finally talk about that. There's a lot more cool stuff that I don't get to say. So just say, if anything that these podcasts say sounds cool, there's a lot more that hopefully someday Munway or JF, you'll get to talk about, or maybe even me, depending on what gets said. But just recently, Tesla's crash test lab was shared on YouTube. They have their own. It runs constantly. It never stops. So it's not like we're in crash test phase. There is none. And because there's no product design phase, product design never ends, there's direct feedback multiple times a day, changing the way metal is shaped and all kinds of stuff. Airbag software being fired is the example in Tesla's YouTube video. It's next level. They are the safest car ever made and from anyone. It's really good. So the question, how do you verify the simulations are meaningful and where does crash testing's role play? The important idea is that final certification should be as fast and inexpensive as possible. So that means final certification should never rely on a physical crash test. It's too slow and too expensive. You wouldn't want to do that 
every three hours or less, since every Tesla is potentially unique. It's not quite in actuality every, but they are potentially 2 million unique Teslas. You can't crash test them all. There'd be nothing left to sell. So you have to establish confidence in simulation. How do you do that? Well, the simulations are constantly overlaying on whatever the most recent physical test is. There's a machine learning grid dropped on top. Wherever the deformation matches the grid, it's green. It scores a point. Wherever the deformation is out of the grid, it's red. It loses a point. And you have what's called percent correlation. Percent correlation, if it's near 100, if it's limit 100, your virtual tests are great. <laughs> you can trust them. They're awesome. If the percent correlation is low, then you have to stop. You'd have to slow down the rate of homologation. You'd have to restrict change. And that would be the death bell for Tesla. So a top priority is the simulations must have statistically safe levels of correlation because always the gating test must be the instant cheap one. The other tests are run to validate the gating test. And so the validation happens continuously, but never as the gating test. Wow, this is definitely a whole new way of thinking on product development and how to do it. But now I have more questions on teams specifically. So who are in the team? I heard the teams can be as big as 50 people. Yeah, every once in a while, they're even as large as 250. But that's only when you don't need creative problem solving. That's things like these Connex containers arrived see what's in there. We think we know, here's the tracking and everything, but see what's actually in there. We think it's all these robots. If it's true, unload them, set them up. That's a complicated thing. You got to figure out what's the correct, safe way to unload them, how to set these things up. Often the instructions are in another language, often German. You've got to go to YouTube, figure out what to do, potentially have a video chat with the maker in Germany, maybe depending, or Italy. And you got to get these things working. It's complex, but it's not creative problem solving. It's execution. So for that, the mission is clear. It's like, take that hill. Now you can self-organize to take that hill. Here it's, here's these shipping containers. See what's in there. If it's these robots, unload them, try to get them active in this area. Cool. We can mob on that. We, we can have this massive wave of humanity and eventually Tesla bots, I think, but for now humanity on those shipping containers and get them set up. Now, when you want a smaller team size, six people or less, ideally three, is when we want creative problem solving, like one out of a thousand cars that's supposed to be white is pink. Why? We don't know. Is it that the previous car was always red and the robots aren't purging? Is it? We need to look into it and find out. Is it that there's a chemical reaction and our temperature is wrong and we need to work with the pink chemical company, BSFH, to resolve? It could be we changed metal alloy and it's reacting at a different temperature. It could be there's water left on the cars from a previous cleaning operation because of a defect that we're fixing in fields upstream. We want a small team to creatively determine how to address this. For that, you don't want more than six people. But a team can be very large if the goal is already clear and it's about execution. Wow, you gave me lots of stuff I need to wrap my head around. Yeah, same here. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. So 
let's wrap this up and let's see if we can get Joe back for our next round of questions. That's all the time we have today. Next time, we'll pick up where we left off as we continue to explore Agile at Tesla with Joe Justice. You don't want to miss it. Thank you so much for listening to our Agile Tales. Feel free to ping us on our agiletales.com.